An introduction to Hujat al-Baligha. So, Hujat al-Baligha is the magnus opus of uh, Shah Waliullah Delwi, rahimullah, who uh, was born in uh, Uttar Pradesh in India uh, and is, uh, in terms of lineage, from the lineage of Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Umar bin Khattab. Um, his father was Mullah Abdurrahim, uh, who was one of the authors of the Fatawa Al-Amghiri. Uh, uh, and so he came from a very uh, scholarly uh, tradition. And so by the age of uh, seven, Shah Allah had memorized the Quran. Uh, he uh, was married by the age of 14 and he finished his um, uh, Islamic studies at the age of 15. Uh, and... Um, he was by the age of uh, 15, 16 he was already teaching in uh, um, a madrasa the madrasa Rahimiya. his father gave him ijaza uh, by the age of 17 into the uh, Naqshbandi Tariqa and it's well known that Shah Allah he taught in uh, in every single subject area and he, he taught for approximately 12 years. Um, what's really important is in 1731, Shah Allah uh went for Hajj. And this was a very kind of uh, seminal moment in his life uh, because uh, prior to that being in India, the, the culture in India at time in terms of learning was very much uh, fiqh-based, uh, 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 especially the Hanfi fiqh and the Hanfi Madhab and its asuls and principles. Uh, and there was possibly, one could argue, uh, restricted or minimal exposure to primary texts. Uh, and so when Shah Waliullah Delwi went uh, for Hajj in 1731, he stayed in the Hijaz for two years, two or three years. And one of his main uh, teachers and uh, someone who influenced him deeply was Abu Tahir al-Kurdi, who was a Shafi'i scholar. Uh, his father was a very famous Ibrahim al-Kurdi. Uh, and he studied uh, the the seminal canonical works uh, in the uh, Hijaz. And in particular, uh, he read Bukhari, some of Muslim, Tirmidhi, and Muatta, and other works such as the Musnad of Imam Darmi and the Muatta of Imam Malik, which... Shah Waliyallah Delvi is uh, a keen proponent of uh, and he studied these primary hadith texts in, all in uh, Masjid al-Nabwi under the tutelage of Abu Tahir al-Kurdi and so when Shah Waliyallah Delvi came back to India he began teaching and writing uh, and he wrote um, many works the, f- the famous ones are his commentaries on Muatta, one of them being the Musawwa, uh, Fawz al-Kabir, which is a, a, a book on Asul al-Tafsir. And he also wrote a shara on the chapter headings of Bukhari, as well as his Hujat al-Baligha. And Hujat al-Baligha had be considered as uh, a holistic work that gives us a theoretical, rational uh, basis of the Sharia. Um, and the work itself is really divided into two parts. The first part 
is a, a lot of the theoretical principles that Shah Waliullah Delvi wants to um, first expose the, the, the student and the reader to. And the second part of the book is where he um, gives an explanation uh, uh, from a rational uh, point uh, looking at every kind of chapter in the Sharia, uh, chapter by chapter. So he talks about uh, wudu, salah, zakat, hajj, trading, uh, leadership, etc. So the book is a very uh, uh, wide-ranging work with a very holistic, balanced view of the Sharia and all of its sciences. And most of the hadith that he quotes uh, are from the uh, secondary collection of Mishqat, uh, Mishqat Sharif. And uh, as I mentioned previously, I alluded to Shah Waliullah Delhi. Delhi was instrumental in reviving the study of Hadith and its sciences in the Indian subcontinent. Uh, and therefore it became part and parcel of what we now consider the Darsi Nizami syllabus. And thus, if you're from the Indian subcontinent or have studied with scholars from the Indian subcontinent, then our... Uh, Sanads are our asanid to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam converge on Shah Waliullah Delvi. He is our link, uh, our common link uh, uh, to the Hijaz and uh, the Ahadith of the the Noble Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So Hujat al Baligha uh, is a book that is really in two parts. The first part of Hujjat al-Baliqa deals with universal principles, ayat al um, There are seven chapters and one conclusion. Uh, so the first chapter is generally uh, uh, talking about what we call taklif, mu'jizat. Why has mankind been made legally responsible? And why is it that mankind will be rewarded or punished in the in the uh, life to come in the akhirat, the second part uh, is uh, what the modality of reward and punishment will be. I in what way will this responsible human being be punished or rewarded? The third section is a very interesting section which deals with what we call the irtifiqat. I the. Uh, societal structures that are important uh, for uh, mankind to exist and civilization to prosper. So dealing with the um, the state, the citizen of the state, the family, uh, the individual. Uh, and the fourth section deals with I. What is it that leads to facility? What le- What is it that leads to happiness? And how can man get mankind gain that? Uh, the fifth section is to do with uh, uh, piety, bir, and sin, itham. The sixth is to really do with political issues and political science and governance. And the last uh, uh, section is how do we extract legal rulings uh, from uh, hadith. Uh, and this is further uh, built on in uh, Shaulillah's uh, other publication called Insaf. Now, so that is the first part of the book, which deals with universal principles. The second part of the uh, book is really very uh, hadith-orientated. 
uh, and very much to do with uh, what we call the Asrar uh, al-Din, uh, the science that investigates the wisdoms behind the Sharia and its uh, rationale. And uh, it really delves into the finer points of the Sharia and why we do certain things and why we don't do certain things. And so Shawali Allah Delvi in the second part deals with the vast majority of chapters that we are familiar with, such as purity, prayer, uh, uh, zakat, hajj, fasting, uh, as well as trading and, and, and governance. Uh, and so uh, this is, you know, a, a good kind of uh, overview of, 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 the, of the book. One of the arguments that uh, Shahullah makes, uh, and which is really central to this uh, work, is that he believes that the fundamental science underpinning the Sharia is the ahadith of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and he says that this is the foundational uh, discipline. Uh, because it, it emanates from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and so it's very important to understand. And we see uh, that he cites um, uh, hadith throughout the work, especially uh, in the second part of the work. Now, with regards to hadith, Shawwal Allah Delvi kind of. Uh, uh, ranks uh, the scholars uh, into um, four, main, four main groupings uh, and kind of uh, gives us an analogy of hadith with a, uh, a kernel saying that the outermost shell uh, of this kernel is to recognize the weak uh, from the sound the multiple transmitted from the rare. And uh, this is uh, really the task of the Hadith scholars and those that had, you know, the uh, technical understanding of this science. And then an innermost layer to this is determining the meanings of uh, uh, obscure uh, Hadith and uh, you know problematic ones, and using uh, principles of Sharia and the language to understand this was very important. And the kernel, the the layer underneath this, the third area, would be the import uh, that these hadith have for religious laws and uh, judgments, uh, and this is really the uh, role of the fuqaha and the innermost or the pearl of the kernel would be understanding the rationale and the holistic uh, uh, overview of why a certain ruling is given why it was legislated uh, not only its historical but its ongoing impact and how there's consistency in the uh, uh, Islamic legal sciences. 
So, um, just to summarize, he, he, Shah Waliullah Delvi is very clear that the asrar of the deen, understanding of the deen, the foundational science, is the science of hadith, and that there are levels to this uh, science beyond simply understanding the mustalahat and the rulings of fiqh from the hadith. Uh, there's also another level which is really understanding the hikmah, the wisdom behind why certain things are legislated uh, 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 and the holistic, consistent nature of them. So the first section of the book is, uh, as I've mentioned previously, is looking at why man is muqallif, why is he uh, uh, responsible. Uh, and so leading up to that point, uh, Shah Waliullah deals with a lot of preliminary points. And the first one is uh, really to have an understanding of uh, or an overview of the creation of Allah. So Shah Waliullah uh, in the first section explains that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is uh, the one who uh, has the ability of ibda, uh, i absolute creation from nothing, and also it is he who has the uh, power of khalq, which is the creation uh, of the of the material world, which is the bringing, uh, or, or, you know, into being of something from something else. Uh, but most importantly, uh, Shaykh focuses on what we call the tadbir which is the divine management of creation. And what we have to understand about Tajbir is that there are universal principles and universal laws that are followed. And, you know, this is akin to the modern, uh, modern laws of physics and chemistry and the natural sciences. Uh, you know, a flower uh, or a plant will have certain attributes. It will have a stem, it will have leaves, it will under, undergo photosynthesis. Um, a rock will have certain features. Coldness will have certain features. Heat will have certain features. So these are normative, universal principles that the whole of creation follows. Uh, you know, what goes up must come down. You know, the laws of gravity. So there is this divine... Uh, tadbir of creation and these universal principles are very very rarely broken uh, if they are broken then it is from the hukum and the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so to give you an example uh, the when Ibrahim والسلام, was tossed into the fire the universal principle is that fire always burns however in this case, this universal principle was broken because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the direct command for the fire to be cool, as the Quranic narrative tells us. A knife will always cut if it is sharp. However, the knife that Ibrahim wanted to slaughter his son Ishmael with did not receive that command from Allah. So the divine uh, principle of a knife always cutting was broken so but generally stating these rules are always followed so shah Allah as a prelude to working up to why 
uh, a human is muqallif, he first introduces this uh, concept of tadbir al-manzil, the divine management through universal laws uh, and, uh, and rules. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Uh, I thought I'd uh, record some of my reflections on uh, the Hujjatullah uh, Baligha of Shawwaliyallah al Dailwi, Rahimullah. And the chapter that um, we're studying at the moment is Abwab uh, Siyasat al Mudun. And this talks about the organization. Uh, and management of affairs at a societal level, uh, its governance, its structure. And Shawwal Allah Delvi uh, touches on this in earlier chapters where he talks about uh, kind of organization at a personal level and the rights and responsibility that individuals have uh, to themselves, to the community, to their families, and to Allah. Um, you know, and he culminated. Uh, this with a progression from the self to the uh, nuclear family, I uh, talking about tadbir al-manzil, uh, how one interacts with children, how one uh, interacts with uh, family, extended family, neighbours, and the rights of marriage and divorce and disputation. And now he progresses to this uh, uh, next chapter, which is talking about the the uh, societal level of organization, and he makes an open argument, uh, an opening argument with regards to uh, the fact that the leader of a uh, Muslim society, i.e., the Khalifa, has a, a duty to uphold the souls uh, of Islam. Uh, um, and much more so he focuses on the societal uh, element and the principles uh, of uh, maintaining the defence of the realm, uh, and the, the uh, uh, administration of uh, justice uh, and uh, ensuring that laws uh, are followed and enacted and, 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 and other things that we've dealt with before in terms of uh, societal responsibilities of actual individuals. But uh, he also uh, makes uh, an argument that Islam is very distinct and and uh, superior with this regard, uh, that the Khalifa has a responsibility to maintain these uh, uh, principles uh, and uh, these abwab al-arba in uh, the uh, rights and administration of justice, punishments, uh, law, and defense, which you know culminates uh, in jihad sometimes. So these are the four main principles that a society uh, must look towards if it is to be structured uh, correctly. And uh, Shawiyullah Delfi uh, explains that the Prophet وسلم, with regards to these four areas has given us universal principles. He's not really uh, uh, given it as specifics. And the reasons for that are that 
um, there needs to be some flexibility in how these universals are applied throughout the ages because Islam is to remain from the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam to the Day of Judgment. And Shawiullah Delvi also argues that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has specified these universal principles with regards to these areas to uh, potentially maintain checks on leadership that the uh, primary principle of the Khalifa is for maslaha for the benefit of the people not mafsidah not to create facade and, 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 and corruption so therefore these rules are, are, and universals are put in place to maintain a check on the, re, on, the, on the leadership but also to give guidelines about how uh, 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 um, you know things are to be uh, tackled so when a new uh, situation arises uh, you know what are the uh, principles by which that issue can be tackled by because many people don't have the ability to do ijtihad from a, a completely new basis so the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam one of his roles was to lay down those principles on which this ijtihad and this thinking and reasoning could be based and uh, so we have guidelines and checks on the leadership but also these universal principles in these areas of uh, law of punishment of defense were also there to ensure that there was an inherent justice that was uh, prevalent in society that the one that is being uh, oppressed the uh, mazloom is given their rights and their uh, 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 penal uh, rights and and, 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 and and outcomes that were favourable or unfavourable but also the Muslim, the one who is oppressing is not oppressed uh, beyond the bounds that there's a, a level of justice for the oppressor and the oppressed and so it's impossible in uh, to make particulars in all these areas and therefore uh, the Prophet ﷺ gave us universal principles, universal asuls that must be adhered to and the key factor is that by following these laws and obligations that it is a means by which uh, the lawgiver Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased by and so it, by um, enacting the rules and regulations, it's a, a it's an attainment of closeness and worship of Him, a, a cultural adherence uh, uh, to the uh, not only the individual laws of Islam but also the collective laws of Islam, which generally fall under the laws of the rights of the oppressed of the oppressor. Uh, the laws of punishment and retribution uh, and uh, defense of the realm. So, um, in chapter two uh, of Hujatul Balik on the section on the governance of societies, Shawulullah Delvi Rahimullahi outlines the Osaf of the Khalifatul Muslimin, i.e., the uh, characteristics that a leader of the Muslim community 
and what they should possess. And so he um, first outlined the universal, uh, universally accepted features of a leader. And they include, for example, being intelligent, uh, being uh, free, a free person, uh, being brave. Uh, interestingly, he mentions that they should be male. And that they uh, inspire confidence, that there's no grudge in following them. Uh, and that they uh, have intelligence uh, well, or legislative intelligence and organi organisational abilities to lead the Muslims. And these are universally accepted uh, features of a leader. However, the uh, mention of uh, the sex of a leader may now be controversial. Uh, but historically, this is what um, uh, was, was considered. And uh, Islam accepts these uh, uh, universal conditions of leadership uh, and it adds to them in the sense that uh, the leader should be uh, a person who is knowledgeable about the religion of Islam, its rules and uh, injunctions, and also be an individual who possesses uh, uprightness, uh, up, being upright and being just. And uh, in the uh, early phase of Islam, in the formative period, uh, the uh, or what you can consider the primary generation of Islam, then the reader should be uh, or considered to be from the Quraysh. Uh, and Shawali Allah Delvi, he outlines why that was the case. Um, and we have to say at this point, it's not an absolute, uh, but it was uh, an important condition in the early formative period of Islam. And one could consider that in the modern uh, era and the uh, world that we live in, that might not be applicable uh, now. But why was it important that the uh, leader should be from the tribe of Quraysh? Uh, one of the reasons is that that the Quran uh, was revealed in the language of the Quraysh. And so there's a, a dialectical uh, argument. And therefore, uh, language was very important at that uh, period of time and history. And so the culture, the language was very important for understanding uh, Islam and understanding the injunctions of Islam and in particular understanding the Qur'an. And so the laws of the Qur'an and the injunctions are based on the Qurayshi tradition. And, and thus a leader who was from Quraysh would intuitively uh, understand uh, what was required uh, and the uh, spirit as well as the letter of the law. Um, another reason why the leader uh, was uh, important in terms of being from Quraysh was that this was the tribe of the Prophet وسلم, and the Khalifa was the uh, deputy or the vigilant of uh, the Prophet and so carrying carrying on in that tradition it, it invoked a sense of belonging and uh, honor 
uh, that that tradition was uh, upheld, and and thus, uh, you know, being from a noble lineage, being from a noble tribe, uh, was important in that early phase of Islam to inspire confidence, to inspire love, and to cement the early formative period of Islam. And Shah Waliullah uh, talks about this in uh, earlier chapters of his work about why the Sahaba was so important and the role that they played and the central role that they played in preserving uh, Islam and, and, and thus uh, allowing it to spread through uh, you know, all parts of the world uh, later on. It's important to note that the uh, the leader should be from the Quraysh as a tribe, as a whole, and and not in particular from any of the the sub tribes. For example, uh, the Hashimi sub tribe, uh, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam belonged to Bani Hashim, but the leader uh, was uh, to be appointed from Quraysh. The, the the overarching tribe rather than any subset of tribe. Um, Shah Waliullah Delvi then goes on to describe how a Khalifa could be uh, elected or, uh, or put into position by uh, another Khalifa or a group of leaders uh, or um, you know a council that decides who the next Khalifa should be uh, and it's important to uh, Remember that the role of the Khalifa in uh, uh, in Islamic uh, kind of thinking and in, in the Islamic paradigm was that the Khalifa was there to ensure that uh, religious affairs of the society were being uh, carried out and provision was made in society for those uh, acts to be carried out. For example, the establishment of prayer ensuring that the zakat was paid, uh, ensuring that the hajj occurred, security um, and the defense of the of the realm. Uh, and, 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 and so the, the Khalifa had a religious and moral ob- ob- opportunity and obligation uh, to uh, the society at large. But also uh, another important part was the actual uh, management of the society itself ensuring that there were the facilities for people to live uh, in peace and harmony. And the section finishes off with Shah Waliullah Dilvi explaining, uh, you know, with the with the tradition of uh, Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, that uh, because the Khalifa has now uh, taken office and is involved in ensuring uh, the religious functioning of society as well as the management of the society, the the uh the upkeep and the uh position should be paid and that should be from the Baytul Mal. So that in summary is a very quick overview of the chapter uh, which is the second chapter in uh Shawuliallah Delvi's uh um book of Hujjat al Baliga uh, from the uh, chapters of Siyasat Siyasatul Mudan.